Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, aka KD. And today we're getting real because I've got one of the realest in the game, John Barrows, on the show today. And I'm beyond pumped to have him. And by the way, I've dubbed him the realest salesman in the game. If people can make up awards on LinkedIn, I can make up nicknames. So he is now the realest salesman in the game. And from the first day we met, we clicked. And I believe it's because of how much we value our profession, how much we value our salespeople, and how much we value authenticity and realness, right? Because Barrows, not only is he the realist, but he's also one of the best trainers in the game. Like he's working with the big boys out there, but also working with startups and also working with the individual contributor, helping all of them become better at this craft we call sales. The way he teaches sales is no fluff, no BS, none of this nonsense. It works in a book, but not in real life. All he does works in real life. And I've got him here today. John, my man, welcome to the show. KD, what's going on, my man? I'm, uh, I'm psyched to be here and psyched to have this conversation. Like, Let's put some formality around some of our conversations that you and I have offline about this type of stuff. So I'm, I'm glad to have this one out loud with everybody here. I'm excited for it. And actually, I think that's an interesting point to even call out from the beginning is I don't think people understand how much some of us call it in this game, talk to each other mm-hmm. and bounce ideas off each other and ask the, what do you think? And do you agree with this and go back and forth? Like John and I still have those conversations to this mm-hmm. day. So I think that's actually a cool thing to, to open with. And something that you and I riffed on, this was even a couple of years ago was, you know, we were both at a conference. We both had done some presentations And we'll get to the one story that we have to tell in this, but there was one where both of us, like people came up and saying, thank you for being real. Like that was the compliment after the presentation. And so I want to open with this and say, 
why is being real so important in sales? Because I mean, I feel like we we've lost it. Yeah, well, I think we've lost it in in general. You know, I think sales definitely, but in general, you know, we live in this Instagram world where everybody puts on this face of how cool things are. But it's like, I got friends, if you follow them on Instagram, you would think they got the perfect life, right? But I know they don't. I know they're a train wreck. I know they always argue with their, you know, and fight with their kids and fight, you know what I mean? So like, we live in this, and I think people are just craving authenticity. They're, they're, they're craving somebody to be straight with them and not bull. I mean, think about the politics and, you know, and all the messaging that we get pushed at us. And, and once you come across somebody that is like just no bullshit, a normal human being, it, it, it's like a, sadly enough, it's like a breath of fresh air these days. And, and I think, it, I don't know about you, but it really took me, uh, I, was, I was caught off guard by that feedback, for, especially because it was usually, I mean, you know this, right? When we do presentations, the goal is to have people come up to you afterwards and be like, yo, that was insane. Like what you right. put up there was insane. And, oh, by the way, I loved how you delivered it, right? But it almost didn't matter what you and I delivered that day. The feedback was overwhelmingly, I, I thank you for being real. Thank you for not, you know, just talking down to us and that type of thing. And I think it's, I think sales is, is probably a, a microcosm of where we are in, in the overall society of that because everybody thinks they got to figure, p- pretend like they know what they're talking about. And most right. of us have no fucking clue. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm going to learn a little bit about you today as well as, was this always how you were or did you reach a point or a shift where you're like, I'm going to be me? Cause it's one, like, you know, I know I went on a journey. Like I wasn't always, I think my authentic self in my role with my team. Did you go on a similar journey or have you kind of embraced this the whole way through? I, I think I'm, there was no conscious moment. You know, I tried to bull, bullshit some stuff, you know, early as a kid and stuff, you know, pretend like I knew I was what I wasn't in some ways, but I, I'm a, I'm a terrible liar, uh, always have been. And, and so I felt like it was way too much effort for me to put on this front that, that I was trying to live up to versus just being me. And, and I think at the end of the day, you know, from a business standpoint, you go through, I mean, I think I read, um, Napoleon Hill, uh, think and grow rich. Right. And in there he talks about like, know your core values. And, and early, early in my career, I wrote down my core values and, and I just said, all right, this is me, you know? And so this is how I'm going to roll. If you don't like it, you don't like it. But I know I'm trying to come from at least a good place, right? Fundamentally, I'm not trying to screw anybody. Fundamentally, I'm not trying to get a, I, I genuinely believe in the giver's gain mentality and doing right by others and what goes around comes around. So once I really settled in on, look, I'm probably going to piss people off. I'm going to say stuff that I probably shouldn't. Uh, I'm, I might even talk shit sometimes on, on, in the background when I'm frustrated with somebody or whatever it is. But ultimately, it's it's fundamentally coming from a good place and that's where it settled in and I just was like all right I'm me and and I remember one more uh, one more quick example uh the you know the disc profiles and all that stuff right well we did that as a super young management team at my first company thrive we were all like 23 24 and it compares how you are in kind of like a chaotic or a stress state compared to how you are normal right and we partnered up with our friend, with, with our, you know, another one of the directors and kind of gave each other feedback on what we saw about each other's uh, profiles. And when the consultant looked to the kid, you know, I was partnered up with kid Josh, he's like, all right, Josh, you know, talk to us about how John is different when he's stressed and, and when he's normal, you know, regular. And the charts was exactly the same. <laughs> he was like, uh, I, well, I mean, I, there, there's really no difference here. Apparently John is who he is. And that's kind of how I've always been. Whether you and like I it or not. That- <laughs> 
Right. And it's, it's, it's embracing that. And I think it's a good example of, and what I want people to hear from this too, is like, it is a choice though. You have to, you have to choose like, Hey, like this is who I'm going to be. And if you caught what he said, be okay with some of those repercussions, Mm -hmm. because you know, what is it? If you try to please everyone, you please no one and you lose yourself, right? Like you still didn't win and you lose yourself. Well, and let's translate that to sales, right? Not every customer is a good customer for us, right? Like, like too many sales reps look at every opportunity as an opportunity, like every, every phone call, everything, opportunity, I can stuff this down your throat because our shit's so good. No, 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 it's not. Your stuff is really good for a certain segment of the audience, but for everybody else, it's average at best. It's the same thing with you as a person, right? Uh, like I, I connect with people who share my core values. I connect with people, but if you don't, that's okay. And I'm fine with that. You know, I hope you don't take offense to something. I hope I don't fundamentally make you think that, that I'm better than you or something like that. Like that bothers me. But if you don't like me or if you don't like my style, I could give a shit. I really could. So it's so funny. Um, a, a good mentor of mine, I was talking about, this was about a year, you know, it was about two years ago now. I was talking through this. This is when I think I was finally like really actually coming into my own a little bit and like, LinkedIn started blowing up for whatever reason, right? Like I never got into this game to be an influencer or a thought leader, yeah. whatever the hell I am now. Like, you know, so I was like, I didn't know how to handle it, you know? And I was, you know, you start to get some of the shit talking and all that start to happen. I was talking to a, a good mentor of mine. He's like, all right, we're not going to get into religion here, KD, but I need you to think about this real quick. Half the world hates Jesus. So <laughs> if you think, if you that in any way that you are going to make everyone happy, you're not gonna, all right? Mm-hmm. Half the world hates that dude and he was right. supposedly perfect. So right. like basically he was like, get over yourself. Yeah. Like if this dude has half the world hating him, yeah. you're gonna have your haters too. And so actually let's talk about this real quick. How would yeah. you encourage people to kind of to think through this, right? Like when you get people talking noise or talking shit, I know this is something that like prevents a lot of reps, one, from creating content, but two, there's always that fear of that negative response. You know, like, okay, I sent this email, I got a bad response. How do you work through some of that negativity or how do you encourage the people you coach and work with to get through that? Yeah, it's it's tough because this is a tough game, right? I mean, you, it's the 99 no's to get one maybe, right? And and you just got to keep grinding. I think the, the first part is obviously don't take it personal. You know what I mean? Like they don't know you. You know, they don't like, yeah, I mean, you and I have this conversation a lot when somebody presents themselves to either you or me and be like, oh, you know KD? Oh, he's my boy. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, hold on a second. Hey, KD, mm-hmm. you know this dude, right? Mm-hmm. You've done it to me a bunch of times. I'm like, I, yeah, I, I kind of know him, I guess. And it's right. like they're they're putting on this front. So you know, I think being okay with, you know, knowing that this isn't, it's not personal. You get hung up on it. Who knows what that person on the other end of the line is going through. I've actually really, you know what COVID's done for me? Um, and I got to check myself every once in a while because I still get angry, but you know, um, somebody on the road or somebody in line who snips at you or yells at you or cuts you off or gives you the finger or whatever, you have no idea if that person's family's in the hospital right now with COVID and he can't see his kid because like give each other a break at this point. Right now, if it gets, if it goes overboard, then okay, you got to do something. I'm a kind of a three strikes and you're out type of dude. Right. Yes. Like you fuck up once you, you come at me once, whatever. I get it. Come at me twice. You're on, you're on, you're on notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, come on three times. And all right, now we have an issue. But I right. think with this, 
like not taking it personally, looking at it as an opportunity. And we hear this all the time, like failure is the key to success, right? You fail enough. You, and as long as you're learning from it, right? It, it's better to fail and get a, like, a, and when I say fail, like get a really bad response from a client, uh, lose a contract, uh, get yelled at by your boss, right? Like those are all things that quote unquote failures. But if you look at them as learning opportunities, all of a sudden, right? You can, you can start to parlay that into more success. I mean, I talk a lot about, you know, reps tactically, right? And I think now more than ever, you, you got to be a scientist in sales. You got to look at the numbers, you got to figure it out. And it helps you disassociate from the personal part of like the, the impact here. Because if you make 50 dials in a day, you get no meetings, that sucks. But if you make 50 dials and you take two approaches and do 25 and 25 and still get no meetings, that's not bad because you just figured out a couple of things that don't work. And if you start moving in that direction um, of thinking of things as little wins along the way, right? Um, and yeah, a bunch of no's and a bunch of negatives and trolls are going to hit you up. But I like, so I, I'm fortunate in the sense that I don't have to deal with some of the shit that a lot of other people do in the sense I'm white. I'm a 45 year old man, right? Who's been pretty much promoted his entire life for everything else everybody gets shit on for. You know what I mean? Like aggression and all this other stuff. So my trolls aren't, I don't really have a ton of trolls, but I do have a few. And, and, and at first I was like, man, who's this, who's this motherfucker? Right. You know what I mean? I'd be like, rah, yeah. rah, rah, rah. right. I'm like, and, and I'm trying to change his mind. I ain't going to change his mind. That dude doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. Like he doesn't sit in my house. He doesn't have drinks with me. He doesn't smoke a joint with me. Like we don't, like we don't know each other. So for him to judge me, who fucking cares? That's his judgment. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's, it just, you got to learn a thick skin, um, learn how to get it. And I think that's why that entry level sales role is so critical, right? You just take an ass whooping, but then you get through it and you realize this world ain't that bad. And, and last point I'll make is it's all about perspective. Mm -hmm. I used to watch the news. I still do, but I, I try to avoid it because of how just real bad it is on the politics side of the house. But I, the reason I used to watch the news every night was because no matter how bad I felt my day went, right? No matter, like, and I could literally have the worst day of my life. And all I got to do is turn on the news and be like, damn, ain't that bad. Right. So it's yeah. perspective. No, I think, I think it's massive, right? And it's, it's taking that pause, right? To like, just remove yourself from a second. So I hope people caught that, right? It's like looking at the actions, looking mm -hmm. at the, what were you testing? What was your scripting? It wasn't about you. It was about your scripting. It was about your messaging. It was about your process, not about you. Right. And making sure that you look at it that right, that way. And so actually we'll, we'll step into the messaging a little bit here. Right. So mm -hmm. we've been talking about like realness and authenticity and in a overly templated and automated sales world, how can a rep SDR, AE, whatever, bring some of that authenticity and realness into their outreach messaging? It's hard, man. It, it really is right now just because of how noisy it is out there. Um, I think videos, you know, the short answer to that one is video, right? A personalized, not the stupid, put the, you know, name of the person superimposed. And when they open it up, be like, hey, you, what, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, video. So the, the very short term tactical answer to that question is, I think is videos, you can put your, because then it's you, right? Um, but I think it's, I, you know, you, you probably saw this on LinkedIn, a little clip that we put out that got pretty popular, which was the me and Morgan uh, chopping it up on the give a shit factor. Mm -hmm right? Like, do you give a shit? 
And, and I think if you genuinely give a shit, which means that you stop treating that person on the other end of the phone as a phone number or as a quota hit, the quota to hit, and you stop treating those emails like I got to send these out so I can hit my activity metrics. And I understand the pressure from management and all that other stuff. But once we take that lens and put it on, we can start to differentiate. Because when people genuinely can, can tell that you put in the effort, gave a shit, tried, whatever it is, they'll give you the, they'll give you a lot of leeway to do some stuff. I mean, there's been people that I have had zero interest in their product, but because of how thoughtful they were with their outreach, right? Uh, like, a, here's a quick one about uh, the, somebody you and I both know, uh, Scott McGregor, right? <laughs> Over at Something New, right? So I'm, I don't even know when I met Scott, like years and years and years ago, okay? This dude... <laughs> And I don't know why he was even prospecting or nurturing me because I was a one-man show and I told him I was never going to hire. So I was like, Scott, love you, but you know, probably no. I'll, I'll refer some people to you, whatever. And like, uh, almost like clockwork, uh, you know, a couple times a year, I would get this thing in the mail that was like when my daughter was born. Uh, I'm obviously a New England Patriots fan and, and Malcolm Mitchell was a Patriots player and he wrote a book. He wrote a kid's book. So all of a sudden I get in the mail, this book, Mark, Malcolm Mitchell, signed by Malcolm Mitchell to my daughter, Charlotte, from Scott saying, hey, John, I know you're a huge Pats fan and I'm guessing Charlotte's at the age now where you're reading books to her, thought you might like this. And I was like, what in the fuck? I was like, I don't get gifts like this from my family for crying out right. loud, right? <laughs> and, and, and I'm sitting there I'm like, why is this guy? I kept asking my wife, I'm like, why is he giving me this shit? Like, I feel bad. Guess what? I'm now 10 people and three of the people I've hired are through Scott. <laughs> and, and because you, know, you play the long game, man. That, that's why I think too many yes. people are short-term focused here and they're not long-term. I think that's the one thing, the one rub I'm going to give to the millennial crew is that they're too impatient. I'm not, look, I love impatience. I love aggression. I love going and getting it. But it's, there's, a, there's a, skip the, a skip the line mentality right now is I don't have to, I don't, I shouldn't have to do all this dirty work because look at how sexy it is. And this goes back to our first point about the, you know, the inauthentic mm -hmm. world that we live in when people just see the out, outside and they don't know what it took to get there. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm glad you touched on the long game because like what he's saying here too is you have to care more than once. Yes. Like all of y'all listening, you're like, well, I, I did. I personalized the first email yeah. and it didn't work. And it's like, so you cared once. You cared about them enough for one time to personalize an email. You need to do it more often than that and be willing to play that long game. Because if, if anything in life, if you just did it one time, you're not going to get the response that you needed to. I think you, we, you and I shared something uh, very similar earlier this year around like you went on a vacation and you came back and you used your inbox as a data set, right? And I did the exact same thing and it was atrocious. I don't know if people saw this. Talk about what you came back to with all the emails in your inbox. It was, uh, two, so I get 200 emails a day. I was gone for two weeks. Long story short, I had 2,040 emails in my inbox when I came back. And this is the first time in my life, in my professional career, where I did not check emails. Usually, you know, wife and daughter go to bed, I open up the phone and I'm kind of like, all right, just let me just delete the spam, right? But that's not healthy because it doesn't let you disconnect. And so this time I disconnected, came back to 2,000. I was like, oh, all right, well, I got to mow through these, but let me mow through them with purpose here. Cause I do, I am curious where I spend the majority of my time. I am curious like where this stuff is. So I broke it down and it was subscription services, marketing emails, and then sales. Right. And I, I considered it a sales email. Somebody was trying to get a meeting with me for me to see their, whatever it was. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I forget the numbers, but I think like 70 of them were sales. So which I, which I was actually a little surprised it was that low. Um, but then like, I think it was like four or five of them were personalized and that was about it. All right. No, actually, no, zero were personalized, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was such it was, a low number. Like a yeah. Yeah. I think it was such, it was such a low number that it was like, what the fuck? And then I looked at LinkedIn and there was like 368 LinkedIn messages in my inbox and four, that's one, four of them were personalized. One of them was video. And that was the one I responded to mm-hmm. right now. Obviously I'm a little partial to certain things like that, obviously, but, um, but it just showed me like, wait a minute. We all, everybody talks about personalization. Everybody talks about empathy. Everybody talks about this. I mean, they're great talking points for a lot of people, but it is blatantly obvious that very few people are doing it. No, nobody is. I did a very similar experiment. I also did an unplug. Real quick tangent here. I hope y'all also are hearing this here. We did a true unplug, like a true unplug, not a checking email at night, not a, but also too, for people like me and John, like there, there's parts of what we do that we really enjoy too. Yeah. It actually is sometimes hard to unplug because very we hard. enjoy what we do. Came back from an unplug, had about 200 sales messages, right? Because I got the VP title at a software company. So I got all, all of this. 200, only seven of the 200 were personalized. But then what I went one step further, I actually put this on a spreadsheet. I tracked to see who followed up, right? So of the 200, only 60-ish or so followed up a second time, which that actually surprised me the most. Because like, aren't I in a sequence? Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, Aren't you just like, pressing play anyway? So why like, not press play multiple times? So I was shocked at the drop off to touch two. That is shocking. Touch two, no personalization. There was not a single yeah. one. No one personalizes twice. It's like they shoot their best shot. And they're like, well, that was it. I found out what school you went to and yeah. that didn't do it. So, so let's, let's bring it back here real quick. One, I hope y'all are like, when we talk about being real, it's hard, but it isn't. Like he had over a hundred outreaches and only seven of them were even personalized and we're easy to find. That's what makes me so disappointed in this is I'm easy to find shit on. You are easy to find and I buy shit, shit on. I'm also not shy about what I buy. I tell people, I'm like, we need a new marketing automation thing, man. I wish we had something like this. Look at me, you know, and I, I, I do screenshots of some of the shit I use. Like, and I'm still on old school classic, you know, Salesforce, which everybody drives people crazy. But, you know, and at least to some people's credit, when I post that, I'll get a Salesforce consultant that'll chime in and say, hey, John, I know you said, you know, that you're, you're old school and you like Salesforce, you know, classic over lightning, um, you know, not for anything. I can help you make that transition. So, hey, at least that, right? But right. I mean, it's, it's, it's harsh, man, right now. But, but that give a shit factor is a real thing. You know, mm-hmm. Morgan, Morgan had it. Uh, he, he didn't have it. I'm sorry. When he came on board here, he was doing his thing and we came up with cadences and we did all this stuff and he was getting good results based on it. And he came to me and when it plateaued and he goes, John, I'm doing all the right things here, man. And like, I just, I don't know why I can't get above this. And I said, well, I'll tell you exactly why, Morgan. It's like, why? Well, I was like, until you start giving a shit, ain't going to change. And he was like, and he was like almost offended. I was like, dude, I'm not saying, I know you give a shit about your job. I know you give a shit about what you do. But until you give a shit about that person that you're reaching out to, really thinking of them as a person and having true empathy for their role, their situation, their industry, their company, you know, results are going to remain average. Uh, the, the give a shit is everything. And real quick sidebar, classic for life, baby. Classic oh, everything. for everything. life. Give a shit about I, I, friendships. I, give a shit about family. Yeah. Give a shit about your career, your health. You name it. Yeah, it has to be everywhere. And that's, that's something that I think is, 
is missing. So let's go, let's get a little bit tactical here, right? So when we think about messaging, whether that is an email or a video or, you know, a, a cold call script, what are some of the foundational things that reps need to have in there to, I guess, one, come across as real, but grab that attention, right? right. I saw a quote recently that said, like, everyone's wrong. Everyone says that time is our most precious resource. And they're like, that's not the case. It's attention. Mm-hmm. We all have the same amount of time where we put our attention. Attention mm-hmm. is actually the scarcest resource. So how do you coach and teach people to kind of grab that attention through their messaging? Um, so I think there's, you know, there's always this debate on structure versus scripts, right? Yeah, Richard Harris and I got into a little bit of a, a, a argument on this on our little uh, webinar that we had, you know, and I think it's a little bit of semantics, but you know, my mentality on this is look, I think, you know, scripts are, they have their place, uh, especially when you're first getting started, right? You don't know what you don't know yet. So here's something best practices that somebody else has put a formula around that helps you kind of get that intro. But I look at it as a little bit more like structure, right? So let's talk about specifically phone. Um, legitimately how you introduce yourself matters. How you say hello makes a difference on where the conversation goes, right? And then you break it down into, okay, once you, you, once you figure that out, and this is something you could test. I mean, Gong does a great job on this about extracting certain things. You know, mine is, you know, hey, Katie, thanks for taking my call. Do you got a couple of minutes? I don't even, I used to say, hi, this is John Barrows with JB Sales. How you doing today? Right. And that's an automatic, uh, sorry, take me off your list because it's so route in people's minds that that's a sales call. But when I pattern interrupt, it's, hey, Katie, um, thanks for taking my call, man. You, you got a minute? And I usually get, well, not really, but who is this? What do you want? Guess what I just did? In that three seconds right there, I just earned an extra minute. Right, Because right? that's what we're doing. And, and this is important for people to hear is when you are prospecting, you are not selling your products or services. You are not, or you, at least you shouldn't be. Because if you could sell your, if you could sell your product or service in a 30 second pitch, then we don't need you as a sales rep. I, I say, that again. Say, say that again, yep. please. Please just say that again. If you can sell your shit in a 30 second pitch or a one page email, I do not need you as a sales rep. That is a transactional sale. That is a marketing tool that can optimize. Okay. Um, so, so that pattern interrupt, like getting into it to earn. So when I get back to it, you're, you're selling time, you're selling the next step. And I don't mean just a discovery call. I mean, again, the way you introduce yourself is selling an extra minute. So you can maybe ask, ask a question or give a slow value proposition. That minute you are now selling an extra two to five minutes to keep that person on the phone, to get their desire up there. Right, we go the old school AIDA structure, right, with Glengarry Glenn Ross, attention, interest, desire, action. That is the fundamental process of sales, right? The St. Elmo Lewis came up with it, uh, 1898 guy. By the he said these are the four main uh, things that we got to do, go through before we buy something. First, something's got to get our attention. Then we have to be interested. Then we have to have a desire. Then we have to move to act. So that framework is a call, is an email, is everything. Call, how you introduce yourself. That gets your attention. Uh, the reason for your call that kind of gets them interested, right? And and get and create some desire around that. Uh, call to action. What's your call to action, right? Same thing with an email. Subject line gets my attention. Check this out. The first sentence tells me whether or not I'm interested. Okay. Now, what am I interested in? Me. I don't give a shit about you, right? I mean, I do, obviously, Katie, but, but you know yeah, what I'm right, talking about? Yeah. Like people, yes. people care mostly about themselves. So when you start your emails off with, I'd like to introduce myself to you, or we're the leading provider of, or, you know, recent surveys say, none of that's about me. I'm not interested in any of that. So why do you, what do you got to do? I mean, just let's talk real tactical. I mean, I see your name, I see the subject line, and I see the first 10 words of that email right there. If that mm-hmm. isn't about me in some way, shape, or form, 
I'm delete, delete, delete. And then desire, what's your value proposition, right? So, hey, Katie, you know, I was on your website and I saw some cool shit. The reason I wanted to reach out to you is value statement, call to action. That structure right there, you can start to tweak in there. Maybe I'll do the same structure email, but I'll tweak the subject line, see if I get better open rates. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll tweak my intro sentence to see if I can get better, you know, people at least reading through it that type of stuff, then you can micro test a bunch of stuff and figure out where it works and then make it yours. Cause that's kind of the ultimate key of what your question, you know, I think is, is, you know, take that structure, best practices from other people. But if you can't make it yours in a very short period of time, then you're just a robot. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I told Morgan that I said, well, look, when you come on board, you got to deliver my presentation exactly how I want you to deliver it. Cause I got to know that you can go through the slides and have the timing and that type of stuff. But I told him, I go, look, dude, three months in, if I audit one of your classes and you are still telling the same damn jokes, my jokes, if your delivery is exactly the same, I'm going to be disappointed with you. Right now. I want, I want to, man, he threw a lot at you. I want you to be very careful here. There's a difference between making something your own and changing the formula. Yeah. This is where reps go wrong a lot of times. Is they want to make it their own, but you change the formula. That is no longer making it your own. You ru- you ruined it, mm-hmm. right? Like I like to compare it to to cooking, right? Like if I'm going to make a pizza, mm-hmm. all right, there's some foundational things that are going to go into that pizza. Now, maybe this person likes it with some barbecue sauce. Cool. Foundational, still a pizza. This person wants pineapple. Cool. Still a pizza. But this person over here decides, you know, I'm going to make it my own. And they're like, you know, what? I'm just not going to put eggs in the dough. <laughs> right. Just not, just not yeah. gonna, because I want to make it my own. Now this is no longer a pizza. So like, I want y'all to hear that, like pay attention to that formula. Make sure the formula is there when you're making it your own, not that you're changing the formula. And this is, this is for all those managers. I'm sure you probably heard me and Morgan talk about this, Katie, is, you know, I think there's, there's a, there, I think the divide between Gen Xers and millennials is, 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 is greater in a lot of ways than a lot of other generational divides because we were the last ones that grew up without technology and millennials grew up in technology, right? But so, so we like, and I'm making mass generalizations here, right? But uh, in general, Gen Xers and above, like we don't like structure, right? Like we were the last ones where, you know, if, if I was born in the house, my mom would kick me out the house and say, just be home before dark, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd have to go figure shit out. I had to break stuff, you know, burn stuff down, whatever it was, as long as I was home by dinner, I didn't get in trouble. Well, now every kid, and I see this with my daughter, every kid's life is structured, right? They go from school to this hour to this hour, then they have soccer practice for 30 minutes, you know, two hours, and then they have their iPad for 30 minutes. And then, and so they go through their whole lives structured and then they get out into the real world and they get somebody like you and I to say, hey, figure it out. And they look at you sideways and they're like, what are you talking about? Figure it out. Tell me what to do. And the gut reaction from somebody like us is, because we don't like being in structure, we like building structure. So, so the reaction is, if you don't know, well, then here's a script, here's a template. And what do you, what, if you're a kid that's been your whole life structured, taught to the test, MCAS, all that stuff, and you get given a script, what are you going to do? You're going to do the script. You're going to sound like a robot. So that's not the answer. Figure it out isn't the answer. The answer is structure. Because we can build it. I, I, I can build structure. I don't like being in it. You put me in structure and I break it. But I like building it. And these kids who are coming up now, they thrive within structure. Better than you and I ever would. Okay. So that's that, that connective tissue there of, of millennials and Gen Xers or managers and, and reps. You create mm-hmm. a structure as a manager. You create a structure as a leadership. And then you let your team play within that structure and test things out within their own merits. And you will see some special things happen. 
No, it's interesting though, because you touched on something that I think is actually one of my bigger struggles sometimes. Like, you know, I've been hiring, you know, for the past 10 years and they keep getting younger and younger and I keep getting older and older. Right. Like, um, and you know, like watching the differences here now, because it's funny. And I talk about this in our onboarding as human beings, we crave novelty, but we hate change. We love structure, but hate micromanagement. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it tears at us. Right. I actually wish all my reps just followed the script. Like that, that it's actually because it doesn't get followed where they don't, they don't make it come alive. If, right. if I had a team of robots right now, like they're actually yeah. following the script, even with a semi proper tone, we'd actually have better yeah. results. It's when they all get off on it. Right. It's like, yes, I want structure. And I say this and I was like, who would like an ABCD EFG formula to success? Mm-hmm. Evan raises their hand. Like, all right, who wants to be micromanaged? No one raises their hand. And I go, okay, so now do you see where we're already in a divide? Mm-hmm. I might have this A, B, C, D, E, F, G formula for you, but you're going to have to follow it. And I owe it to you to hold you to that, that process. Yeah. So it's just human beings, man. We are, uh, we are an interesting, interesting creature. Yeah, we are messed up. Um, we talk about a virus. <laughs> so so let, let's actually talk people, right? Yeah. What causes people to make a change? Right. If you think about sales at its core, right, we are trying to drive change, whereas change in thought, change in behavior, change in purchasing. What are some of the things about human beings that, you know, lead to change? Because I think this could help people start to craft their messaging a little bit. Um, so I, I hate it, um, but the data is undeniable of of people are four, I think it's four times more likely to avoid pain than they are to achieve gain. Mm -hmm. Uh, so for instance, if I said, Katie, I can make you $20,000, I can give you something that's going to make you 20 G's, or I can make sure you don't lose 20 G's. You will choose don't lose 20 G's three times over, you know, three out of four times. Right. Yep. So I think the, the pain obviously gets people to change. Like I had a little bit of a health scare recently, you know, in the sense that I had a little high blood pressure. My parents have, you know, and I've, I've been treating my body like a train wreck, you know, for 45 years. I'm a dumpster fire. I've been blessed with a frame that, that doesn't, that I have a high metabolism. So it looks good without, you know, with a shirt on type of thing. You take the shirt off. But, you know, but around 45 years old, all of a sudden some health issues are popping up. Well, guess who's getting their ass back in gear? You know what I mean? Like I'm getting back in, I'm getting back in the gym. I'm trying to eat right. I'm trying to pay attention. So I think there's their obvious pain is what gets people to change or, you know, I think having a real vision, I think the, the, and that's the pleasure side of it is that I don't think too many people look any more than, you know, 10 feet in front of their face as far as what today is going to look like. And I get that in today's world too. I mean, it's hard today just to get up and get motivated to get through a day in this world right now. So how could you possibly look four five, six, ten 10 years out to see what you want your life to look like? Right. But I think when you do kind of settle into your own a little bit there and, and understand that you can control a lot more than you think you can as far as your path, your success, and you see what other people are doing to, you know, that, that you want to emulate, I think that creates change as well. So that we take that personally, we also take that for customers, right? There are customers that are on fire right now and they need help. And so they're looking for solutions for that thing. There's other clients who are out there saying, um, I'd like, this is the next two to three years for me. That's where I got to go. Help me get there. And that's why I tell people, look, I don't sell you shit. Like I literally do not sell shit. 
I help you achieve your goals or solve your problems. That's it. And if your goals aren't big enough and your problems aren't big enough, why are we having this conversation? That's why reps lose to no decision. Like everybody's biggest competition is no decision because eh, it's kind of okay. It's not a priority for me right now. It hasn't come up to that top of that list. We all got a million priorities. It's one of the one or two that I'm working on right now. And if you can have a solution for that, I will talk to you. If you don't, call me in six months. And so we'll get super tactical here, y'all, for your listening. This is what your cadence or sequence should be made up of. Problem-based language, visionary-based language, problem-based language, visionary, desires and fears. You have to alternate because one, you don't know which email I'm going to open. And two, I might be one of those gain people. Mm -hmm. I might be one of the fear people, but that language needs to alternate. I'd be willing to bet most reps you go read your emails. They're almost all future-based. We'll make you more money. We'll get you more leads. We'll get you more appointments. We'll get you more, like, what's the opposite of these things? Right. Go write, go rewrite all your emails to the complete opposite. And, you know, we talk about empathy. <laughs> um, here's something that, that, that I think reps need to focus on that, that not too many are, and I didn't either. And so this is coming from an old man telling my 22 year old self to, right. I always say the number one thing I would be split test, right? Try just Mm -hmm. constantly be a scientist. That's the number one. But my second one is um, be way more proactive with your business acumen. And I mean that in the sense that I, my business acumen was a byproduct of my activities. I would just do, 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 do. And then I would do something dumb and I'd learn from it, right? So like, for instance, I'd sit in front of a CEO in front of a CEO and ask a stupid question and the CEO would say, that's a stupid question. I'd say, okay, right? And I wouldn't <laughs> ask that question again. But now, and, but I, and I, always, I always used to say, hey, tell me about your priorities, right? A really generic, stupid thing to say. Now, that, now I know. Um, but if I were to take a step back and say, wait a minute, going back to really putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? Well, if I'm reaching out to a CISO, okay, which I didn't go to school for, right? right. I don't know what a CISO does. I, I, you know, I know what their title does. I know what they're responsible for in general, but I don't know what their day-to-day looks like. Well, guess who does? Google, dumbass. Mm-hmm. Like literally mm-hmm. open up Google and type in CISOs, priorities, challenges, 2021, whatever it is. Read a few articles, right? Uh, talk to your internal resources to understand what does a day in the life look like for somebody like that? What are they being held accountable? Who's the executive? What are the, their bosses asking them? And then when you have that, like actual understanding at a, you know, at a more than a super surface level, you can then be thoughtful with your outreach because now you can ask real questions, Right. right. Like I, you know, go back to AIDA again, if we're going to go tactical, you know, a great way I'm using these days to start emails mm-hmm. instead of, I used to say I was researching your company and all that other stuff, which is fine. I take the word research because it's gone overused. But, um, now I ask you a question. Oh yeah. Hey KD, how are you keeping your reps motivated and engaged now that everybody's working from home? The reason I ask is because a lot of VPs of sales who are having a challenge keeping their reps motivated and engaged are leveraging our live training to be able to give them the tools, techniques, and motivation to get through this mess stronger on the other side. Thought it'd be worth the conversation. And by the way, for for everybody out there, that's an email. If you want to do this, which I don't really recommend, but I know the world we live in, that email that I just said, you could send to 50 VPs of sales all at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's right. relevant. It's, it's relevant to the persona, right? Yep. And that is key. So like, yeah, y'all, first sentences. So funny enough, I actually don't even split test subject lines anymore. It's all first sentence. Sentences, yeah. Like, 
the first sentence. I have emails that have the same subject lines and I'm split testing the first sentence because that's where I've seen a larger impact to open rates now, right? The um, people, they read it, right? It goes name, sentence, subject. That's how people read now. Do I know who it is? Okay, I'm going to open it, right? If I get an email from you, the subject line and the first sentence doesn't matter. matter. I know who you are. I'm going to open it. If I don't know who you are, I want to know what do you want. And the subject line doesn't tell me that. That first sentence does. And if it says, oh, I was recently assigned your account and wanted to... Deuces. I'd like to I'm introduce out. myself. Right. Shut the right. Unless it says, I'd like to reintroduce myself. My name is Hove. I'm probably not opening up that email. Actually, funny, just real quick sidebar. I got an email. It's actually a couple months ago now. The subject line was <laughs> the best motherfucking data. You're opening that one up. <laughs> and I was like, that email's getting opened, right? Because, well, I think you're about to go here. Go for it. I was going to say, it, did they know you? Yes. Like, okay. they, they, like they, they knew that would resonate with me. Again, this is what we were saying earlier about it. It's easy to find. It says in my LinkedIn profile, avid swearer. Like, it's right, it's right there. <laughs> nice. It's right there. So you know I'm not going to be offended by that email. Right. So it's just, it's using what you can learn about your people as an individual or to your point to wrap back is the persona, understanding their world and what they're going through and what they do and the language they use. Can I, can I give uh, all the managers and executive leaders out there a tip who are listening to this? Yes, please. Um, we guess a lot in sales. Our reps guess a lot, right? And look, let's go baseline. Baseline is a pitch about us and how great we are, right? That's the elevator pitch approach. It sucks. Uh, level up a little bit. Uh, you, you're relevant to people, right? So, so I'm your VP of sales. Uh, uh, level up from that is personalized and relevance, right? And, and, but we're still guessing. And when I say personalized, like, hey, I'm doing research on you, Katie, and I noticed that you just posted something about this or your company just did that. So I'm kind of... St- I got a hypothesis here that when that happens, my solution helps. I don't know whether you need it or not, but I'm, so I'm taking a guess. So, mm-hmm. but you know who knows what works? Customers. Yes. With this whole world of getting back to get connected, like I think this is such a great opportunity to bring everybody onto one page here with customer success, sales, marketing, and everybody else. What I would do if I was a VP of sales right now, the, you know, 20, 50s, however many reps, I would get, I would t- talk to my customer success leader and I'd say, okay, who are the personas that we're going after? All right, say it's CROs in healthcare. Hey, customer success, do we have two CROs in healthcare that, um, that, we, could, that we could do a little lunch and learn with, right? Yeah, sure. We got, you know, obviously they want to see us successful, right? So now we do a little Zoom session like this with uh, the CROs and just do a Q&A session from the VP or whoever to say, hey, what's your day-to-day look like? What messages resonate with you? What's your priorities? How how have they changed since last year? Those type of things. That conversation, along with a little bit of homework, where afterwards, I would actually do this beforehand. I would have all the reps do research on, you know, CISOs, uh, healthcare, priorities, challenges, 20, so they can come up with some like thoughtful and, and interesting questions for them, right? So we learn that persona, we learn what they care about, we understand, and then we can craft messaging. Like we're right. putting together panel uh, customer advisory boards where we create messaging based on the research that we do on the priorities and the challenges of the people in, in today's world. We craft it using our little formula here, whatever. And before it goes out, we actually send it to our advisory board of customers who, who are that persona and we say, hey, 
would would you res- would would you open these? Would would this resonate with you? And they come back with all sorts of feedback. Oh no 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 no, dude, that is so funny. I know that's what they teach you in the books, but that's mm-hmm. not how it rolls. Like this is what. It, oh, cool. Switch it up. Fire off that cadence afterwards. You got a lot more context, a lot more knowledge. Business acumen happens. People learn to care a little bit more, right? Because when you do that research, you start to be off, you're genuinely interested in some shit, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's that's huge. It's part of our onboarding process. It's actually where I even started my role um, at Patient Pop. Like I joined. I didn't come from healthcare. I'm good at sales, but I didn't know healthcare. Hit up 50 customers, right? Called them, right? I actually got in a little bit of trouble because I didn't ask permission at first. Right. So like, should have asked permission, but I just started calling, right? I'm like, oh, all right, give me a customer list. Let's go. And you start to learn how they talk, how they describe their problems, how they describe what the product does. Most perhaps don't even know what the product actually does for their person. Well, I think this comes full circle, man, uh, on the authenticity factor. I, I mean, I'm sure you've watched as many of these type of interviews as I have with like big baller CIOs or, you know, huge companies. And, you know, somebody's asking them, hey, what, what gets through and, you know, what do you respond to? And, and nine out of 10 of the interviews, the executive's like, I don't know if they would just treat me like a normal human being. Like I wake up in the morning just like everybody else and they talk normal language to me as opposed to putting all this word salad in there about how and trying to impress me on how smart they are. Look, I'm sorry if you're a sales rep, you're not as smart as I am in this space. So stop trying. Like this challenger sale bullshit is ridiculous when it comes to somebody, a sales rep who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. That's like giving a a five-year-old a shotgun. It has done work. It's so bad. I, most people, well, it's so funny. The challenger sale, first of all, like most people say they've read it when they actually haven't. No, they have and it, like they have not read it. The second part, very few people understand what it actually meant to be a challenger seller. It was yeah. not challenging them. It was challenging the status quo through insights. And yeah. if you don't have an insight for that CSO, you can't be a challenger. You just can't. It's like, like Gary Vee says, you can't be a 22-year-old life coach. You haven't right, lived yet. Stop. <laughs> Just stop trying. Like, I, I still think it's shocking to me too, Like, especially you know, people that are going after like C-suite level individuals that they even allow their reps to talk to them yeah. for the first time. Like yeah. The first CSO you want your SDR or your AE to talk to is going to be a prospect, right? Like. I said this actually at Rainmaker this a few years ago, right? The best practice on purpose, the rest practice on prospects. That's what you're, you are practicing with a prospect. And if they're not ready, they are not ready. And it's just so bad. I still, everyone, like I answer at least five cold calls a month just to see what's happening, right? Just to, just to see what's happening. And the amount of times that one, they're not ready for me to answer, first of all, just not ready. (laughs) Two, yeah. they've done no research. This is, by the way, this is the most common question I'll ask them. Like, someone's like, hey, like, you know, was, you know, oh, yeah, like, you know, I was hoping you have a second real quick. I'm like, sure, let's go. Like, oh, like, I work for blah, 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 lead company. We generate, like, leads, da, 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 da. We can get you all the direct contacts, blah, 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 blah. And I go, do you know what industry I target? <laughs> do you know what industry I sell to? Oh, well, I was like, go find out and then tell me if you have those leads. Right. Like this, and this is basic stuff that people just aren't, aren't doing. So, um, so I want to, I want to wrap up on this cause we already, I can't believe actually how quickly this has gone. We've already covered so much stuff here. Already. I, I knew this was going to, I knew this was going to happen, but so what I like to do is, you know, we've been going for about 45 minutes already. Like I like to ask this question of like, what's the big three, 
right? Like of all we've talked about, about realness, authenticity, attention, like messaging, like what would be the three key takeaways that you'd want people to remember? If they forgot everything else we talked about, but three things, what would you want those to be? Give a shit is number one. Mm-hmm. Give a shit. I, I think that encompasses almost everything I'll say is, is, is really give a shit. Give a shit about your career. Give a shit about the people you're reaching out to. Give a shit about your messaging. Uh, be a scientist. Uh, and when I say be a scientist, I mean now more than ever. And this is, this is will hopefully hit for a lot of kids out there. You know, look, it, sales a brutal job. Um, it, it used, and especially SDRs, it's, it's the hardest job in sales. I think it's one of the most important jobs in sales, but I also think it's the hardest job in sales. Um, and what used to make that, cause I mean, you get 99 no's, you get one maybe, right. And, and you got to keep grinding through it. Um, and, and look, what made, what made it tolerable was that we all used to be sitting in a bullpen together, getting our asses handed to us together, right? Yes. So if I got on a bag, if I got ripped up by somebody when I made a cold call to him, you know, I could, I could look next to you and be like, yo, that was brutal. I just called somebody who was dead. Like, can you believe that shit, right? Um, and, or let's go grab a drink, right? Now though, like you, like you don't got anybody to commiserate with. You're, you're sitting at your house with a cat. And so when you're having a bad day, there ain't nobody else to share that bad day with you. And so... If you become a scientist, though, you can actually get through this. It'll make this job a lot more interesting because going back to that example, 50 dials, right? 25, 25. If you can say at the end of the day, you figured something out, whether you figured it didn't work or it did, you can keep going. And guess what? You're going to come out of this way stronger and way better, right? Because you'll know your process. You'll know what works for you, not somebody else, right? As long as you follow in those confines right there. And I think the other one I would say is, is, is to your point there, Trust the process, do the process, work within the process that you're being told to work in and execute at the level you're being asked to execute. And, and then go, let's go back to being a scientist and measure those results because where management will not listen to you is when you are not hitting your results and you don't know why. Where management will listen to you is when you come to them and say, look, I haven't hit my results. I've been doing it your way like this, okay? And I've been measuring the shit out of my approach here. And I've done it your way. And this is what it looks like. Now, I did a little side hustle here on the other side and I took a few accounts and I did my approach, which, hey, might be different than what you told me to do. So I am gonna break that rule a little bit, right? But I'm taking this approach and check out the results here. So which one do you want me to do, Katie? You all of a sudden become my best friend as a manager, right? If you yes. can tell me, because the biggest challenge managers have is not knowing where to help. And because most managers were promoted because they were the best reps, they're usually hard to translate that, that art, if you will, down to other reps. So if I see a rep who's struggling, the rep can't tell me why they're struggling, then I'm going to give them my opinion of what they should do because it worked for me. And then you're going to go execute it and you're not going to do it as well as I do. And so I'm going to get inherently frustrated with you. But if you come to me with a process and say, John, here's how I map things out, man. I get a good intro, but man, when I get that intro, when I get somebody on the phone, I basically puke on myself and I can't figure it out. So like, help me with my message right there. Or look, I do great meetings. I do great demos, but none of them convert to opportunities, man. I got, what's going on there? I like, obviously something's wrong. Like I said, if you do that, you will become my best friend as a manager because now I know where to help. I love it. And it's just, it's the self-awareness. It's again, giving a shit. You have to care enough about your career to be willing to do those things, which I think is just so, so important. So then we'll wrap with my favorite question here, man. And I know it's something that you, you love and enjoy too, right? The name of this podcast is live better, sell better, right? Like I have this weird idea that if we lived a little bit better, if we 
took better care of ourselves, if we were in a better mental state, like if we lived better, that the results will follow. What would be your live better advice to people listening? Like how to, to live better, for fulfillment, joy, energy, whatever it is. What would that advice be? Smoke a lot of weed. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, that's part of it. No, but um, I, I get it here. Um, I, have a, I have a little, um, pot, what do I call it? It's a good things journal. Um, gratitude journal, a lot of people call it. Um, I write down something every day that I'm thankful for. And you will be amazed at how far gratitude will take you. Um, and I mean little things too. Somebody opened the door for you today. Uh, Pete Buttigieg got confirmed the first LGBT ever in a cabinet position, breaking a ceiling. Like small, like whatever happened, you know, and if you're on the other side, whatever that happens, right? Um, those little things of taking just five minutes at the end of the day to reflect on something positive that happened that day will change your mind, will change your mentality, and will change your results. I'll, and this is one more, and, and this is on the negative front too. This is an exercise that I had my friend go through. This woman that I was pretty close with, she was having, this was years ago, she was having really bad, just real bad run, right? Real depression, stuff like that. Therapist and everything. I said, hey, do me a favor. And I gave her a journal. I said, could you do me a favor? Just write down every positive thing that happens to you today. And I, and I said, I don't care how small it is. You made a green light instead of a red light. Somebody opened the door for you. You got a text from a friend, whatever that is. Just do me a favor, right? And she's like, why? I go, just, just humor me here for one day. She came back at that end of that day with six pages of notes. And she goes, oh my God, John, I had one of the best days I've had in years and I said, can I ask you, do you think that's because today was any different than any other day? Or do you think it was because you just had a different lens on today than you've had for the past couple of years? And she stopped for a second. She was like, holy shit. And so we missed the little things. So I, if I'm going to recommend something to anybody out there, especially in this hard time, um, I do this with my, my wife and daughter before my wife goes to bed every night. What are we thankful for? Right? And that alone changes your state right? Changes your mentality and it rolls and it future and, and the gratefulness um, and thankfulness uh, for the little things helps you get through all this shit. I love that. We do something very similar in my household. We call it the rose and the thorn. And you know, like what was your rose of the day and what was the, the thorn of the day? And what we love about this and we will call out very regularly as a family is that sometimes it's hard to come up with the thorn. Like, so like if, you know, did anything bad actually happen today? If you're forcing it, no, you don't have a throw a thorn today and that's fine. So my man, dude, this was long overdue. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll take full, I'll take full credit and blame for, <laughs> for that, man. Where can people get more of you? Like what, what do you got out there that people can go get more of what you're teaching, how you're teaching it? Cause the shit works. Like where, where can they go? Where should they go? Appreciate it. Always LinkedIn is the easiest way to find me. Um, jbarrows.com though, if you go there, uh, we've released this new on-demand platform, man, that's fire right now. We got all sorts. Of, it's like Netflix for sales, like real Netflix for sales, not just a tagline here. 
Um, you know, we got Morgan stuff in there. We got James and stuff in there. We're getting Doug Landis stuff in there, Richard Harris, right? So we're basically building a masterclass for sales uh, with just high quality content in there. So it's like 400 bucks for the year. Everybody gets everything that I train. Some of those baller clients that you just mentioned in the beginning, let's Salesforce is the LinkedIn's and all that stuff. The same training I give them is in there. And so if you're looking to invest in yourself, we're actually even right now, because my birthday is coming up on Monday, uh, we're doing a two for one. So you get, you buy one and you can give one try to pay it forward right now. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd recommend people checking that out. Oh yeah. I actually just sent that link out in my Patreon the other day because someone was like, Hey, I've got some extra personal dev money for my company. Where should I spend it on? Go find it. So my man, thank you so much. I appreciate your thoughts, your energy, your wisdom every time. We'll do it again soon. Always brother. Talk to you soon. All Thanks. Right. Later, my man.